0: Hello, and a very warm welcome to a new episode of World Build, brought to you by World Architecture News from Alison and Nav. <laughs> In today's episode we speak to Nick Jackson, director at Arab Architecture about one Triton Square in London. A building with a new life after an expansive reuse programme which challenged the status quo of conventional refurbishments to deliver an environmentally responsible building for its 4,000 users. Now lauded as British Land's first BRIAM outstanding building, the project exceeds the ambitious carbon reduction target set out in the UK Climate Change Act. The highly successful removal, refurbishment and reinstallation of more than 3,000 square meters of facade, comprising of over 25,000 separate parts, proved to be one of the largest examples of implemented circular economy practices in the industry to date. So thank you very much indeed for taking the time to join us today, Nick. I'd like to start the questions really by asking you to introduce us to this project and detail perhaps how you adapted the approach to manage the environmental commitments of this project right from the get-go.
1: Okay. Thank you, Alison. And thank you for uh, the opportunity to discuss the project. So One Triton Square is a early 90s office building that Arab Associates designed for British land. It was designed originally as a financial building, so it had big trading floor and it had a lot of sort of capacity in its building, in, in its sort of guts, if you like. The building was actually never used as a trading building, but was occupied by different sorts of businesses in sort of About 2015, 2016, British land came back to Arab and said, all right, building's coming vacant, sort of original leases are now expiring. What shall we do with the building and, you know, what can we do with the building? So uh, we looked at ways of reconfiguring the building and critically, how could we add more floor space to it? Sitting alongside that was the conversation about how do we do that in the, the most environmental and sustainable way we can. And in a way, those two things came together. We developed a scheme that nearly added about sort of 80% more net floor area to the building. And at the same time, we're able to do that by retaining the existing building and adding three stories to it, which critically meant we retained all the original structure and all the material within that. And obviously, from a point of view of embodied carbon, that was a very positive move as against a total new build.
0: And I think one of the changes made was to the atrium, an integral part of this building that was really redesigned so the area could be used more effectively.
1: Yeah, so the key changes to the building that we introduced, well, for those who don't know the building, i describe it essentially, it's a 75 meter square in plan with four cores that are located on the corners. And it had a large central octagonal atrium in the middle of it. It was a sort of low rise building, the atrium went down to what was the dealer floor and let light right into the middle of the building. The main changes we made were to add three stories of space to it, to reduce the footprint of the atrium down to about a sort of about 18 meters by 15. And that sort of whilst it made it a much smaller space, the, the other move we made was to open it up and uh, start to use it as a place to put staircases and make vertical connections through the building, which for the future tenant who will come into the building, gives a sort of animation. And that sort of rebalancing, if you like, of the building actually really was was part of a wider story about wellness and well-being and activity within the building so by adding three stories to it we created terraces at sixth floor that that open out and have terrific views um to the surrounding sort of area and look across to the city as they sit just above the horizon of fitzrovia and that's part of a whole series of initiatives we introduced that ultimately all ended up in in its sort of you know uh, outstanding sort of um environmental performance
0: and how much was the retrofit made easier by the fact that Arup designed the initial building? Would it have been far more difficult if it had been a building that was completely new to the team?
1: Well, the nature of a sort of project like this is there's a a huge amount of sort of forensic activity at the beginning of trying to understand what the existing building is and how it's been built. So we had designed the the structures, the MEP, the architecture of the original building, and that meant we had all the record documents um, from that. That was a huge asset in terms of starting to develop designs around what you could do with the building. So we knew what load it could take in terms of additional floors. We knew how the original MEP services were configured. We knew where the voids were. We knew how the facade had been put together, uh, and we had all those original drawings. That didn't necessarily mean we actually knew exactly how it had been built, because inevitably there's always still a gap between actually what the design drawings show and maybe what a contractor did on site. And there were a few areas, particularly things like strength of concrete, where that came out and proved to be, a, a you know, a thorn, that, uh, you know, a, a tricky problem we had to solve later on. So it didn't solve every issue, but it was massively beneficial. And certainly where we've done work for British Land on a nearby building where we didn't have that information and the amount of interrogation and interpretation we've had to go through has been much greater and so you end up being a bit more cautious really in some design engineering.
0: So in terms of projects nowadays are they looking to be built with an afterlife as it were and by that saving embodied carbon as we've spoken about?
1: Yes, yeah, so, I mean, there's been a move probably in the last decade and a half, really, to improve the quality of record information that we keep with buildings when the new buildings are completed, so that those are stored with the building and made available digitally to obviously clients and occupiers and people trying to maintain the building. That's a very important asset when you come to look at repurposing existing buildings. That started probably from a maintenance perspective, but actually now as we're looking at retrofit on projects, that's increasingly a really important asset for buildings going forward. So we've got some work we're doing on an 80s building at the moment for another client where we have some records and that's great and we're missing other records and it's really difficult. And so I think that's, that's really critical going forward that anything new we build now, we make sure that information is available for future generations.
0: And the project at One Triton Square, it's a really good example of the use of a circular economy approach. One of the examples was the refurbishment of the facade. Can you just talk me through a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the circular economy approach began with the, the strip out and demolition. So there were certain pieces of MEP plant that, whilst they weren't going to be suitable for use in the the reconfigured building because of the change in size and volume that we created, we needed bigger pieces of plant. So some of the pieces of plant on it were taken away and, and reused elsewhere or made available to be reused. The facade was really interesting. Um, we think this is probably one of the first examples, certainly in the UK and, and probably Europe, I think, where. We dismantled the existing facade, about 3,000 square meters on four elevations over four stories. We removed the facade. We took it away off-site. Uh, Originally, it was going to go back to uh, the Netherlands to be cleaned, repaired, have gaskets placed. But actually, that work was all done in a small uh, warehouse facility north of London. So we saved a lot of transport mileage by doing that. And essentially, it was a very advanced facade when it was first designed because it was a double-skin facade, so probably one of the first. Double skin facades built in in London, I would say that meant it actually performed very well even by today's standards. Uh, and we were able to dismantle it, replace all the gaskets, retain all the metal. We retained the outer glass. We did have to replace double glazed units on the inner line, and then the whole thing was put back on. And actually, we put it back on one story up. We raised it up one story just to change the proportion of the building because it was a bit taller, created a more generous ground floor. We were able to do all this for two reasons. One, the original facade had been all installed with a dry assembly so it wasn't all held together by silicon and adhesives uh, and secondly uh, we had the drawings and the original manufacturers was still trading so you know that was a very nice partnership with them to sort of come back to the building rework it again and, and give a lot of that metal another sort of 25 years life so you know that facade will be on the building 50 years and there's no reason it can't be done again you know in another 25 years time.
0: And would you say that the buildings such as these need to have a significant refurbishment or redesign every 20 years? And if so, what do you think we're going to see within the next 20 years? How can we achieve more efficiencies?
1: So you'll see a a number of buildings that will go through quite major refurbishment, but won't necessarily change the amount of floor space they've got. The MEP equipment has a sort of life of something like 20 years before it. Reaches the end of its sort of serviceable life uh, and needs major overhaul. Typically, at that point, equally, you'll find that new equipment is much, much more efficient, is much, much more energy efficient. Will deliver, uh, can be controlled better. So, from a carbon and environmental point of view, the systems, it makes sense to reinvest in new systems and replace uh, and recycle the 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 old systems. So you can keep ductwork in, you can keep pipework in, but you take away the air handling unit or the chiller, or you replace the fans in the air handling unit. So that's sort of one scenario. The other is where there are opportunities to obviously increase the amount of floor space as at Triton, and that, that drives a different conversation. I think what you will see in London in the next sort of decade is there's a whole stock of buildings that were built in the 90s and into the 2000s that are going to be coming through that cycle where their MEP equipment is reaching the end of its life. And there will be questions about you know, what is the right approach, you know, increasingly, there's less and less opportunity to increase height on building or increase footprint. So a lot more refurbishments going to take place within the existing envelope. And that may include upgrading the envelope whilst retaining the essentially the main facades.
0: Is there a facility or mechanism in place for companies like Arup to share information or learnings from, from jobs like this?
1: Well, I think through conversations like this, we can share our experience. I've done quite a lot of uh, talks and presentations around Triton over the last 12 months explaining what we've done. I think Arup are making no secret about our wish to make sure that all projects we analyse the embodied and operational carbon and increasingly see that as the central conversation around you know environmental performance and we want to share you know our, our knowledge and experience with others to to help the whole industry improve uh, and reduce our, our impact on on the environment and you know climate change we have initiatives that we are working on with construction declares across all our disciplines to try and generate a platform where the design industry and that's engineers MEP engineers as well as architects share our ideas and insights into different initiatives to reduce carbon impact within buildings um, and to try and create some sort of open source platform for doing that sharing. So I think, I think that's crucial if we're collectively going to achieve the step change we need to.
0: What do you think is the most important thing about this, Brian, outstanding building
1: The achieving a Bream Outstanding Building comes from pushing the boundaries in every area of of the design and construction and management of the construction. To get to outstanding and get beyond just excellent means you've really got to push hard in all areas of the building. So for instance, one of the initiatives we took on board on Triton was we helped a small subcontractor who was doing the fit out in the toilets. We helped them look at the whole life cycle carbon assessment of um, their materials. They're a small business. They didn't really have the, the wherewithal to do that. But by helping them do that and enabled them to understand what their impact was on the project, we were able to take that data into our um, carbon modelling and, and look at that. That was just a small example of going further than you might do if you were just doing what you needed to do with um, BREEAM excellent. I think the other issue really with Briam outstanding is it doesn't really look into the embodied carbon of a building. We see that as the uh, electrical grid cleans up. You know, the energy we get out of the electrical grid has got a lower carbon content. It's cleaner. We're now designing all electric buildings. We're trying to avoid putting any hydrocarbons into uh, office buildings we're working on, whether they're new or retrofit. But increasingly, therefore, the contribution of embodied carbon to the whole carbon assessment of a project is becoming very key. Uh, And so we're, we're looking very hard at all of those assessments. And really, that was one of the key lessons on Triton, was if you look under every, you know, if you turn over every stone, even quite small things contribute to the whole picture.
2: Thinking about technology now, how valuable was BIM to the design team and to the client?
1: Well, from our point of view, we carry out pretty much all our building design, whether that's architecture, engineering, or, or when we're working together as a multidisciplinary team in a BIM environment, pretty much from the outset of a project. I think we increasingly see that delivers the, the best outcome for our clients. It delivers the the most efficient design process. It delivers clarity to contractors who are trying to understand how the different components and systems within buildings come together. And it, it allows us to have a holistic approach to the design right from the beginning. So we've been working like that for several years now. Triton was was a full bin project all the way through. And the overlay of looking at the environmental performance and carbon on top of that equally uh, adds to, to that in terms of the data sets that we're able to harness.
2: And how were you able to use it to overcome challenges with the design?
1: I mean, there are the the sort of simple spatial issues of fit and coordination that go on day to day. I think where we see the greater opportunities is that by working within a a sort of data-rich 3D environment, what we're able to do is equally start looking at more advanced digital processes, whether that's using scripts to generate certain parts of the the modelling or the design. It allows us to look at options more effectively. And we're increasingly starting to to use the, the, and the, the 3D environment to look at generative design and automation. So where on an engineering side, we might use automation to look at uh, carry out calculations or looking at the, the way... Elements of the building get sized and, and looking at different options on that. On an architectural side, we might use that to help us generate massing options for a for building and show client, you know, the benefits of different arrangements of volumetrically and massing that might show them different floor areas or might offer them better daylight or might offer them more valuable space because of views. So all of that comes in, you know, embracing a sort of BIM environment right from the beginning of a project.
2: What are some of the new technologies that are up here exploring and can you see yourself using any of these in the future?
1: Well, we've just rebuilt, we we, um, we have a space that is a sort of virtual reality space uh, within our building that we can take clients into. It's a bit like a mini IMAX, if you like, but it's got a very sophisticated sound and projection system in it. Uh, we call it the iLab. Uh, we had a smaller version of it in our building um, on Fitzroy Street. and We've just rebuilt a larger version of it over the last 12 months while we haven't been in the office so much. And we use that to carry out simulations either for our own benefit of a design point of view or we're using it to show clients uh, much more sophisticated simulations of what spaces that we're designing for them might be like. Or for instance, we're doing a lot of work with HS2. We've used it for for simulations around some of the um, assets around HS2. That's one area. We've got a whole series of initiatives we're investing in digital tools and modeling across the whole group, really in every aspect of the work we're doing to try and streamline sort of mechanical, repetitive tasks to allow our, our teams to concentrate on the places where they can, you know, exercise their innovation and creativity, where the sort of critical thinking can be harnessed.
2: Looking now at the environmental aspects of the project, it's one of the lowest carbon headquarter buildings in the UK and is forecast to save 40,000 tonnes of carbon against a typical new build office of the same size in its first 20 years. How was this achieved?
1: Well, that uh, the, the analysis of that 40,000 tonnes of carbon, it splits down between the operational and the embodied carbon. So, the embodied carbon was a, was a key part of the, the conversation about whether you demolish the existing building or you you go down the route of a retrofit. The existing foundations, substructure, and the concrete superstructure uh, had a very significant percentage you know, of volume of uh, material in and steel and concrete. By preserving that and, and building on top of that, that made a big step forward in terms of the, the carbon content. That's a sort of easy win, if you like, with any retrofit project. The next steps were more challenging. So we designed uh, highly efficient MEP systems. We reduced uh, the energy usage in the building. We redefined the uh, the volume of the building that we heated. So for instance, the original building, the staircases were all heated. We added insulation into different places. We redefined the thermal envelope in order to reduce the heat load on the building. And then critically, the, the conversation we had earlier about the facades, the embodied energy of the, the material in the facades, whilst in itself is much less than the uh, the super Superstructure and the substructure by retaining and reusing that um, facade, we we made a big uh, another additional. Um, contribution to the carbon saving and even just measures like deciding not to take those facades back to Scheldemann's facility in the Netherlands, but actually do the work much more locally. You know, that saved an enormous amount of transport miles. So in a way, we, we've characterized it in, in the way we've been looking at it as a series of marginal gains, which is obviously to sort of steal a, a term, if you like, out of sort of performance sport. But actually, that's really the, the way we've realized you have to approach this. You've got to look at every aspect of the building, and see if there is a different approach you can take to change and reduce the the carbon impact of a component of the building. And we did that in partnership with British Land, who were hugely supportive of it, and with Lenleys, who were the contractor, who embraced that right from the outset. And, you know, we were very reliant on them driving that through the procurement and construction phases of the project. It's fine us designing and, and analysing that, but actually if, if Lenleys hadn't embraced that and if British Land hadn't supported the whole team on that journey, we would have not collectively made the the impact we have. And I think it just shows that what design teams can achieve if they really go the extra mile to to try and achieve it. And we see increasingly, as i said, the embodied carbon is becoming a very critical part of that.
2: And the project is one of the only commercial buildings in the UK to exceed the carbon reduction targets set out by the UK Climate Change Act, which are required to meet the UK's commitment to the Paris Climate Agreement. How much of a challenge was this and how were you able to achieve it?
1: Well, I, you know, that, that all comes back to the sort of carbon assessment and so on. I think when we started the project, Arup had already been working in this space probably for a decade. And, you know, we work very closely with the Ellen MacArthur Foundation and our colleagues in the sustainability team have developed been developing tools and techniques for and benchmarks, if you like, for looking at, at the carbon aspect of, of all elements of the built environment, um, not just sort of constructing office buildings. I think when we began the building in sort of, well, 26, 2015, 2016 16 when we were sort of first doing the first designs uh, i don't think we realized where we might get to and equally i'm not sure you know w- you know in terms of where embodied carbon and and so on sat on the, in on the agenda was was not as clear as it obviously is is now what became clear as we worked through it was that just trying to achieve say Briam excellent wasn't really going to make much difference to where we could get to and then actually as we developed that developed the design through the early stages we started to realize realize that achieving outstanding was possible. Uh, it hasn't cost very much more, but it took a sort of commitment from the whole team to to take that on and then work really hard at it to make sure it didn't cost very much more. It created quite a lot more process in the way to really chase down and make sure we knew what we were measuring and what we were benchmarking against. And we've run a very sort of detailed sort of accounting process, if you like, to monitor that in order to understand where we sit and be confident, you know, of, of the figures that we're stating.
2: And will this be something you apply to all future projects to try to achieve such high goals?
1: We have set ourselves the challenge within Arab of all building projects that we're involved with architecturally and from an engineering point of view to understand the the embodied and operational carbon, to benchmark it, and to look with all our clients at where we can improve and reduce uh, the carbon content of projects. And we we have a team in-house who are pushing that across the board. We're going back to projects that we're we're completing, trying to complete those assessments and make sure we we understand that. And all new projects going forward, that's um, a high priority for us as an organization.
0: Thank you for expanding on those points. Can I just ask one last question? Do you feel that suppliers are as aware of carbon and on board with the situation and developing products to the speed that you need as an industry?
1: I think many are. I think many realise how critical what they do is to the impact of the industry on the environment many of them don't have access to the analysis or the data that that we are able to to reach and they need they need help i think they're very aware of it but they don't necessarily have the the tools to hand to be able to analyse their impact. Equally, they are beholden to really what they're asked to do. And unfortunately, not all clients and not all funders or, you know, the wider industry are asking those questions. I think there are still too many buildings and too many projects happening where those questions are not at the front and central to the project. We're asking all our clients when we look at a project really, you know, okay, if you have a building and you think you need to demolish it, do you really need to demolish it or is there a way we can reuse it? And you know, do we need to rethink maybe what the use of a building is before you decide that it's it's not suitable? And equally, I think, you know, within the sort of commercial industry, the sort of viewpoint that you know, buildings have to have certain benchmark characteristics of of height, of floor to ceiling height, or other criteria that sort of get established as reference markers. I think actually those have to flex as well. And people have got to realise that, you know, if you've got a building that actually has another 50 years of life in it, we shouldn't be demolishing it simply because it maybe doesn't meet a, a metric that may be 50 mil or 100 mil different. Does that really matter? In, in actually the, our ability to live and operate and work and, you know, collaborate in a space.
0: And, and it might be achievable through other other means as well.
1: Yeah, I think we just gotta be, we've got to be more flexible and more adaptable. We are seeing, you know, all the conversations going on around about the sort of workspace and our working environment and how we work. We are all seeing that we're, you know, we're, we're taking on a much more interesting sort of hybrid, adaptive sort of, you know, patterns of work. We need to see our workspace in the same way.
0: Lovely. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. I've learned a lot myself this
1: afternoon. Pleasure. Thank you very much. We welcome
0: your feedback on the podcast. So please aim all your comments to waneditorial at haymarket.com. You can listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So follow, download and join us.
2: We'll be